Our first reading tonight is written in the prophet Hosea, chapter 2. Therefore declares the Lord, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of Achor a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband, and no longer will you call me my Baal, for I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by name no more. And I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the creeping things of the ground. And I will abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land, and I will make you lie down in safety." And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. And in that day I will answer, declares the Lord, I will answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth, and the earth shall answer the grain, the wine, and the oil, and they shall answer Jezreel, and I will sow her for myself in the land, and I will have mercy on no mercy, and I will say to not my people, you are my people, and he shall say, you are my God. O Lord, have mercy on Our psalm this evening is psalm number 114. This is a great psalm of Exodus, a psalm of Exodus. We sing it to the tune, On Jordan's Bank, the Baptists Cry.
The second reading is written in the Gospel according to St. John, chapter 3. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim, because water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. But whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. O Lord, have mercy on us. In many and various ways, God spoke to his people of old by the prophets. But now, in these last days, John the Baptist and marriage. Probably not two things that go together in your mind, but in our gospel reading, in the mind of John, they fit. We pray every Sunday morning, Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we give thanks to you through Jesus Christ, whose way John the Baptist prepared, proclaiming him the promised Messiah, the very Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world and calling sinners to repentance. That's how we usually think of John, don't we? Wearing that camel skin shirt, eating locusts and wild honey, a man on the edge, a man who was wild and who was out in the wild. Not the kind of guy you'd invite to your wedding. And certainly not the guy who you would ask to be the best man, right? Because the best man has to look good in pictures. The best man has to be the kind of guy who's willing to pay for the tuxedo, who's willing to go along with everything, who's going to arrange for the bachelor party and make sure everyone gets invited. You want a guy who's dependable. You want a guy who you can count on to tie his tie the right way. But if you ask John to be your best man, well, who knows what he might do, right? If you ask somebody like John the Baptist to be the best man, you better be sure that you bring an extra tuxedo just in case he shows up in that hair shirt. 
You better make sure, right, that you tell John, now, John, now's not the time to be calling everybody a brood of vipers. Now's really not the time to be calling everyone to repentance, not even my in-laws, although maybe they could use it. John, a wedding is a place to behave. Now, usually we don't think of John the Baptist and weddings. They don't really fit, do they? But in John's own words, that's what he thought he was doing in the wild. John in the wild was preparing, he says, for a wedding. Now, his disciples saw what was happening. There was Jesus off with his disciples, and there was John, and they were both baptizing. And some people were going to Jesus and his disciples, not just some of them, but a lot of people were going to Jesus and his disciples. And John's disciples didn't really like that, did they? And you can imagine why. They were jealous. They were envious. They loved their teacher, John, and they didn't like seeing his disciples leave him behind and go to Jesus. So they came to him and they said, John, did you see what he's doing over there? And John said, see it? Did I see it? You guys, this is the whole point. It is my joy that you all leave me behind and forget totally about me and go over with that guy. John's joy out in the wilderness was that people would be called to repentance, certainly, that they would escape from the wrath to be revealed, but he wasn't simply interested in saying, escape, run away. John directed them somewhere, and the place that he directed them is the same place that he directs you in this Advent season. He directs you to a marriage to a bridegroom, to your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who wants you to call him my Lord, my God, my Lord, my Master. John told his disciples, look guys, it's like this. I'm the best man and he who has the bride, the one who's getting all the disciples right now, he's the bridegroom. That's what John was doing in the wilderness. That's what he thought he was doing. That was his end. Marriage was the end of John. And I mean that in two ways. There was kind of a hint of it in our gospel reading tonight. You heard it put this way, John was not yet in prison. Now, some of you know why John ended up in prison. Some of you know the grisly story of how he had his head taken off of his body and put on a platter. But for those of you who don't know, let me tell the story tonight. John ended up that way because of a marriage. John ended up that way because he couldn't keep quiet about a marriage that wasn't supposed to be. John ended up that way because John loved marriage. And he didn't just love marriage because, you know, he liked romance and he liked husbands and wives being together. I'm sure he did. But John loved marriage because he loved what marriage symbolized. You're familiar with symbols and how one thing can symbolize something else. Let me remind you of how that goes. Think of our flag, our country's flag. There was this famous incident. Todd up here is wearing a Chicago Cubs shirt, which makes me think of this, okay? Sorry to call you out, Todd, right? But this is a good instance of the Chicago Cubs. There was an incident uh, in the 1970s when some Chicago Cubs fans, this is so typical of Cubs fans, jumped onto the field and they had an American flag, and they were going to do a little demonstration. Maybe some of you remember this. They were going to demonstrate their disgust with our country. And so they took the symbol of our country, the flag, and they knelt down in center field at Wrigley Field, and they were about to set it on fire until the center fielder came swooping in. I forget the guy's name. What was it? 
Rick Monday, see, he is a Cubs fan. Rick Monday came swooping in from center field, grabbed the flag, and everybody cheered, right? Now, everybody cheered not just because he saved a $10 flag, right? But everybody cheered because everybody understood that that flag is a symbol of something. It is a symbol of something greater. Well, marriage is too, right? And John told King Herod that he was not allowed to marry his brother's wife. That's what the marriage that got John in trouble for. John told King Herod that you can't just go and marry someone else's wife. And of course, Herod would say, well, she's not really his wife anymore. They got a divorce. It was all handled nicely and neatly. But see, in John's view, that's not how marriage works. And marriage is not just a temporary agreement that, you know, as soon as things go a little bit south, well, let's call it quits. And so even though Herod's brother, whose name was Philip, had divorced his wife, Herodias, in John's mind, in God's view, let not a man separate what God has joined together. And so John stood up and he defended marriage. He told the king, you're not allowed to do that. And because of that, he got the ire of the king and the ire of his wife. And they threw him in prison until one day, you know the story, his daughter-in-law was dancing. And Herod got caught up in the dance and in the party and he said, ask anything you want up to half the kingdom and I'll give it to you. And Salome, that was her name, went and talked to her mom, King Herod's wife, And you know what her mom asked for? Without a moment's hesitation, John the Baptist's head on a platter, and Herod delivered it. John ended his life because he loved marriage. But see, the reason John loved marriage is the reason that we love marriage. Not just because we love husbands and wives and romance stories on the Hallmark Channel, but we love marriage because of what it symbolizes, what it stands for. And what it stands for is nothing short of our Lord Jesus and his bride, the church. John defended marriage even when it was completely unpopular. And we defend marriage even when it is completely unpopular. Our world is as confused about marriage, maybe even more confused, than Herod and Philip and Herodias. And so they need a clear word about what marriage is, the union of a man and a woman for life. They need that clear word, not just so we have clarity about the earthly thing, but also so that we have clarity about what it symbolizes, the union and communion of Christ and his bride, the church. See, that's what John loved. And so when his disciples told him, hey, look, Jesus is stealing all your disciples, John cheered him on and said, yeah, go, go, go. For this is the very reason I came out into the wilderness, to prepare a bride for her groom. That was the role of the friend of the bride. He wasn't just supposed to look good in pictures back then. He was supposed to make sure that the bride ended up with the right dude and that the right man took his bride and actually married her, that things didn't go wrong. And so out there in the wilderness, John came to an end. His ministry came to an end because of marriage, not the marriage of Herod and Herodias, but the marriage of Jesus and his church. Out in the wild, out in the wilderness, I'm sure John was thinking of that prophecy that we heard in Haggai, or I'm sorry, not Haggai, in Hosea, how the Lord would allure his people in the wilderness, how he would speak tenderly to her out there in the wild, how he would renew his love for her so that she might renew her love for him. That's what John was doing in the wilderness, and he rejoiced greatly to lose all of his disciples because losing all those disciples meant for John that he was finished, 
because it meant that Jesus was increasing. And to this day, that is still our goal and our purpose. We come to this Advent season not just to escape the wrath that will be revealed on the last day, but so that we may be prepared for the marriage feast. John is still in the business. His words are still in the business of preparing the bride and making sure that the girl ends up with the right guy. And so John directs you to your Lord Jesus. He prepares you for your Lord Jesus by calling you to repent, to turn away from anything that your Lord and your master would despise so that when Jesus sees you in the wilderness, in the wild, so to speak, he may take you as his own. John would have it no other way than that as we come to the end of our Advent season, our eyes would be fixed on marriage, on the true marriage of Christ and his church. And so we come tonight and in this season to the brink of a great wedding day, the day when Christ Jesus will appear and he will take us to himself and we will forget all the other would-be husbands and Christ will be all in all. That's what Jesus came to do to get the girl. He came to wash you, to cleanse you with his own blood. And in holy baptism, that's precisely what has happened to you. And so you have to think of yourself this way. You have to reckon yourself this way as a bride beautifully adorned by the Lord Jesus, having your sins washed from you, having all those wrinkles and all those blemishes wiped away from you. You who have been brides, you know what it's like. On your wedding day, you make sure every hair is in just the right place, right? Because when you come down the aisle, you want your soon-to-be husband to say, wow, she's beautiful. That's our Christian life, dear friends. We are preparing to meet our husband, so to speak. We are preparing for the day when we will see him face to face. And so when you turn away from sin, when you repent of your sins, you're not leaving behind all the good stuff. You're preparing for the day when your Lord will see you, when he will praise you. And in fact, this is what he is preparing you to do right now. He is sending his spirit into your heart, into your mind to cleanse you, to wash you, to make you pure and spotless for him. For the marriage feast, the marriage feast that is stored up is coming. Christ Jesus will not forget us. He will not leave us high and dry at the altar. He won't run away and say, I got cold feet. I just don't know if I can go through with it. He has made a promise, and he keeps his promises. He keeps his promises so much, in fact, that he already gives you access to the wedding feast. Blessed are those who are invited Not who just will be invited one day, but blessed are those who are invited already now to the wedding feast of the Lamb. The wedding feast has been prepared for you. Christ gives you his own body and blood. He wants to be with you in just such a way. For our Lord has seen to it to not only promise us these things, but to make good on them. What marriage symbolizes, Christ and his church, is a reality that you are part of. You have not only the symbol, but you have the reality too. Christ and his bride, Christ and his people, Christ and your own soul. So rejoice like John in this Advent season. Take up the joy of John the Baptist. Rejoice and be able to say, he must increase and I, I must decrease. For here's the beautiful thing about being betrothed to such a husband. When you decrease under the Lord Jesus, he lifts you up. For it is the glory of a husband to elevate his wife, and it is the glory of a wife to submit herself to a husband. As that happens more and more in your life, you will find the joy of John the Baptist, the joy in being able to say, let him increase and let me decrease. 
To Christ be the glory now and always. Amen.